Hey there, welcome to Beyond the Bikini podcast, where you can enhance your body and your mind. My name is Nicole Ferrier, exercise science grad, certified personal trainer, bikini competitor, and coach. On this podcast, you will learn more about my experience in the fitness industry, competing in bikini competitions, mental health, and how to gain more success in your own life in your fitness journey. So sit back, relax, or power through this cardio session and enjoy. Welcome back, guys, to another episode of Beyond the Bikini Radio. Welcome back, Kate. We're just talking all the talks this morning. <laughs> What's going on, guys? I'm excited to have you back. We're going to be talking about calories in versus calories out. And I know as we enter the new year, so many people will be talking about wanting to lose weight. And the first thing they go to is, I need to be in a calorie deficit to lose weight. Which, what do you think about that whole phrase calories in versus calories out. I don't feel like it's controversial, so we don't have to be like that, but I hate saying this, but it's true for a healthy body calories in calories out. You cannot defy those laws, right? You will lose weight if you are in a calorie deficit in a healthy and in functioning body, right? If it's optimal that way. Now, even a calorie deficit relative to your maintenance in an adaptive body will work, right? It just means you're going to have to literally run yourself into the ground because your body has adapted to become much more efficient. So the body adapts to help you survive. And I think that's an important thing for people to understand. You're not broken. Most of you are chronic dieters, like trophy first place. You've been doing this for decades and your metabolic rate and energy capacities and your efficiency to utilize energy that you intake is much higher than someone who's never dieted before. So you are not broken and you cannot defy those laws, but there's also a downregulation and internal cascade that makes it a million times more difficult for you to lose weight, especially if you're someone who is restricting and then overeating and kind of overshooting and then trying to restrict again. Like those are just certain contexts um, where it's not ideal to be in a calorie deficit all the time. Yeah. You can't be a chronic dieter. And unfortunately, I think women are convinced that 1500 calories is like maintenance or they can like build a ton of muscle eating that much. They don't know that you can eat more than that, like 2000, 2500, some even super tall females or genetic anomalies can eat like 3000 for like some females out there. And it's like, you're limiting yourself all the time. And that's why you're deficit is so painful, like 1100, a thousand calories. And sure you can eat that. I'm not trying to tell you guys to go eat a thousand calories. You can, but your quality of life is going to be absolutely horrible. And then before you know that, like a thousand calories is now your new maintenance. And then what do you do from there? And I think you're walking like such a fine line. If you're like browsing social media and you are this person eating 15, 1400 calories. And then you hear calorie deficit. Well, I'm not losing weight eating this amount. So what do I need to do? I just need to cut my calories, right? Because then I'll lose weight. And you have to remember there's going to be sacrifices with those goals. I do think one thing I find very interesting is the idea that 15 or 1600 calories is a lot for people. I know a lot of women that are afraid to eat that much. And I'm like, oh my goodness gracious, that's sad to me. I think that it starts from a young age where women just feel as though you can only eat 1200 calories and 
my fitness pal does no one any favors when you go in and you plug in that you want to lose weight and it immediately puts you there. And I, I mean, I've seen this for different age groups, different levels of fitness, different levels of dieting and histories. I mean, it's unfortunate, but I do think that message is so, so greatly pounded into people's heads that your value comes from your waistline. And I do think that's a massive disservice to what health and fitness should really look like. It should improve your quality of life. It should make you feel better. It should allow you to fuel your body and feel strong and empowered as a woman or male, whoever you are through that process. And unfortunately, I see it more towards the, I will find value in myself if I hit this low number, low waist measurement, doing cardio today, sweating my ass off and not eating carbs. And I do find long-term that has detrimental health impacts. Again, your body is going to adapt internally to these things, but psychologically, you're not yourself. I've seen this. I mean, and there are, again, normal adaptations that help you survive, but you have to weigh the pros and cons of those decisions. And I have a client right now, actually, that struggles a lot. Uh, and you'll see this too, if you really pay attention to your biofeedback, most women either through PMS or even ovulation sometimes struggle with body dysmorphia and a lot more emotions around that time, kind of body shaming, body checking, and just talking down negatively. And I see this very common in this one client and I have to point it out to her. She is someone who looking at her dieting history, spent over a decade eating under a thousand calories. She's very on the go. She works in a gym. She's very mobile. And, you know, after coming back, even doing a reverse for six, eight months, getting her calories really high, maintaining very well, her body is so adaptive that we have to get very aggressive and then have very aggressive refeeds and she might not even move. So we've had to pull back and I've had to tell her, we're now doing a lot of recovery on internal health. And that means being uncomfortable for a short period of time for that long-term investment. I really encourage people to consider it in that manner, because if you do need to go through a period of recovering internal health and optimizing that, not just getting within range, but getting to a point where you should respond quite easily to a calorie deficit, instead of running yourself into the ground, you're going to have a much higher quality of life throughout that process but it might be uncomfortable for you. And this is where it's really important to examine where you find your value. And if it is in your weight, your body composition, or your calorie intake, trust me, there are no trophies given to the chronic under eater and who can survive on 800 calories. However, that might put you, you know, in the ground a lot sooner than if you were to address these health concerns earlier and make sure that you're optimizing your health and that health and fitness in that endeavor is contributing to a higher quality of life, of self, and all of those different aspects that are what health and fitness should be, in my mm -hmm. opinion. Yeah. And I also feel like that's when you can kind of see the cycle of um, the calorie deficit, not reversing properly, the rebound, weight gain, new maintenance, kind of body fat set point. And then they do it again. And then that set point gets even higher. And then they do it again. And then that set point gets even higher. And the problem is, is you're never doing the restorative of healing and you're never reversing. And then those problems don't really get addressed because you think, okay, I've gained weight. What's my solution? Cut my calories. I gained weight again. What's my solution? Cut my calories again. Versus just feeding your body enough and not touching dieting at all and letting your body kind of 
it sounds silly, but just like trust you again and trust that you're not going to put it in this like deprived state because even a slight calorie deficit is still a deprived state for your body. It's still not allowing for it to run optimally and it's still a stressor. So if you're someone that is even the high stress person, which usually these people are the chronic dieter, it's usually the type A high stress person, then you're really not allowing your body to recover and get better. And I call this whole phase in someone's fitness journey, the taking the two steps back to take 10 steps forward. But so many people are so scared to take their two steps back and they're only focusing on going forward. But in reality, they're just stagnant. They're not moving at all. I think that's important, but I would also encourage people to think about that. Like rest does not necessarily mean regression, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that you're going backwards. If you're not recovering from the cascades in, in the things that you've put your body through, whether it's, you know, physical stress, emotional stress, psychological stress, internal stress, right? Dieting um, causes those stressors to be amplified, to increase over time. And if you do not pull back on those stressors, you are going to have to sit it out and have a longer period away because you didn't address what your body needed at that time. Now, I'm not a huge woo-woo person if you guys know me at all, but I do know that taking the time to recover is incredibly important because it's only going to set you up to progress the way that you should. Imagine this, take a timeline of six months. Let's say you're a chronic dieter and you choose to continue to diet for the next six months. You're like, I'm getting this 10 pounds off. And it takes you six months and you run yourself into the ground. You're having a terrible time. You're irritable. You can't sleep. You're food focused. You're arguing with your husband. You're snippy with your kids all because you want to lose this 10 pounds. So let's say you only really lose five, right? Because you're up and down all over the place. Now, let's say you take those six months, the same six month time period, rewind. And you're like, I'm not going to diet right now. I'm going to focus on rest, recovery, feeling my body, finding maintenance, going through a restorative phase. And then I'll approach that later on, right? Let's say you do that and you maintain weight, or let's say you gain five pounds. However, you go into the next dieting phase, recovered and ready, and you're able to lose 10 pounds and then some right through your next dieting phase. Like where was that time better invested? And I think it's important not to think that sitting down, taking rest days, pulling back as bad, or you're going backwards or you're regressing in any manner, it's allowing you to go forward at the rate in which you should. And I think that's important to consider is if you want to optimize your fat loss phase, you do need to go through a recovery restorative phase. I do think that's important and widely overlooked, especially for women. Yeah, there's different seasons. There's seasons of growth and there's seasons of dieting and there's seasons of maintaining. And I think so many women are just obsessed and hyper-focused on the dieting and they neglect other seasons. And those other seasons really do change your body or they allow for like other areas of your life to improve, like have more energy to maybe pour into getting that degree you wanted or starting a family or starting up a business. Like those things require calories. And I guess that is kind of um, a confusing term too, because the two steps back can seem like regression. But if you're stagnant, I think another thing I'm big on analogies is just thinking of that hamster on the hamster wheel, where the faster that hamster runs and the harder you work, 
you, you might feel like, okay, I'm moving, I'm, I'm going to make progress, but like you're stagnant, like you're not moving anywhere, the harder you work. And I think it'd be important for us to kind of talk about some like red flags and signs that your body needs to enter that like healing phase versus like the dieting phase. And some of those red flags, I think a lot of people overlook in general. The first thing that you can really start to examine is your biofeedback. That's um, one very simple metric to be able to assess how you're responding to a fat loss phase. And if you're getting burnt out, a lot of people will say, well, when do you end the diet? How long do you diet for? Number one, a calorie deficit is not a lifestyle. I've said that before. And I think it's important to understand it's a tool. It's a metric. It's going to allow you to progress and optimize your body composition over time. But you also have to remember that any fitness goal that you have is a moving target. You think that getting from A to B is what's going to make you happy. But once you achieve B, you're going to want to go to C. So instead of looking at the end result, I think it's very important to take it one day at a time and enjoy what the fuck you're doing. Like this is supposed to be fun. If it's not fun, then you're doing it for the wrong reasons. Now that doesn't mean it's not going to be challenging and that it's not going to suck, right? Like being hungry isn't always fun, but it is inevitably a part of that process, which is why chronically dieting is not going to be conducive to long-term sustainable success and or quality of life. So when it comes to red flags that you can see and kind of assess, right? One thing I really like to look at over time is, you know, if I start to see clients are waking up in the middle of the night, right? That lets me know that their cortisol is probably starting to get dysregulated. Stress is high, even if they're not aware of it, right? Your body keeps the score. I think it's very important to note that it doesn't matter what you tell yourself. If your body is stressed out, it's going to have those symptoms and side effects. So if I start to notice that, I'll have them start taking their fasted blood sugar and compare it to postperennials, right? How elevated are we getting? How stressed are we? Where do we need to pull back, right? So that's one thing I can start to look at. Another one is going to be mood and irritability, food focus, the psychology of what they're doing, right? If they're constantly counting down the hours to the next meal, you know, again, they're starting to suffer. They're probably not as productive. Their work life might be suffering. The quality of their relationships might be suffering. If they're starting to become more introverted, saying no to things, again, this is lifestyle context and competition prep. These are all things that are going to happen, right? You're getting to unsustainable levels of leanness with that endeavor. So these things are going to happen. And this is where understanding, you know, diet breaks, refeeds, things like that, being flexible with timeline is also important. Bowel movements. I know that people don't like to talk about poop or it's weird, but paying attention to digestion is very important. And then you can get symptoms of downregulated thyroid, right? We can see mm-hmm. those in their ability or you know, their, the rate of weight loss stalls. They might even start gaining weight. They're cold in their hands and their feet. They've got brittle hair, nails, skin. I mean, those are different things that will tell you kind of about the internal health of that client um, without necessarily directly looking at lab work and understanding, okay, what do we need to do? How can we improve this? And then again, depending on the client, their biofeedback and where they're at, that's where your job as a coach is to advocate for them and make the proper adjustment call to optimize what they're doing in a fat loss phase and or pull them out of it, depending on where they're at. Again, mentally, physically, biofeedback wise as well. Mm -hmm. And I think the other thing too, is like, if you keep pushing harder and the weight is staying stagnant or it starts to go up like almost like an inflammatory response that's also a sign like you shouldn't be adding more cardio cutting your calories more aggressively and let's say you truly are 
to hear rest days and sleeping your eight to nine hours a night. Like, and let's say other areas of biofeedback look, they look okay. Like they don't look horrible by any means, but if your weight isn't changing and you're working harder, I mean, that's not a sign that you need to work harder at all to break through that. Usually diet break can be helpful in that case, or you even need to end the diet depending on how long it's been. Yeah. And I'll actually, um, this is where taking the time to work with a client in advance and like keeping diet history and what they respond to is important. Right. I think a lot of coaching, unfortunately, like as we said earlier, like text would say, well, calorie deficit should work. Right. But inflammatory markers and chronic stress uh, is also not ideal. Right. So we need to use the anecdote and art of coaching and understanding that client, what it is that they're responding to and be able to have approaches that are not linear dieting phases using diet breaks. I really like those. I don't schedule them. I know people ask like, when do you take them based on biofeedback in your progress, right? Your adherence, when adherence starts to slip, that's a big sign for me that I need to give them a break. Even if they say they're good, right. But we're having days where we're having extra licks bites, tastes that we're falling off, that we're starting to get more food focused. Hey, let's just take a diet break. You know how much relief that gives people even psychologically, right? Then we start to progress at a much better rate because all of that stress and pressure for them to show up and, and execute and fight through, right? We're always taught to fight through it harder, do more, work harder, suck it up. But you don't have to do that. What you need to do is be very realistic with your expectations and transparent about where you're at. Because I would much rather set a client up for success for long-term success than to make them feel like, well, you didn't check the boxes this week. It looks like you're still struggling. We're not going to change anything. You need to get it all done. And then they, again, start to engage in these self-sabotaging behaviors because they're not being heard. I think that's also important is like, if you are feeling burnt out as a client, your coach should not be judging you or shaming you. They should be giving you alternative approaches to get through what you need to get through at this time, whether that's pulling out of the diet, taking a diet break, changing timelines, you have to be flexible in that and understand there are going to be obstacles in your fat loss journey. It's never going to be a smooth ride, but you have to be able to pivot and change direction when needed. And sometimes that may be you know, taking a diet break or prolonging the end date of your goal, but ultimately that's going to lead to longer term success and eliminate the hiccups that you might have during that process. Yeah. And you should be able to express how you feel. You shouldn't be scared and feel like, I just don't want to let them down. Like I don't want them to think that I'm not a hard worker. That's not the case. And honestly, if you're kind of in that relationship where you feel like you can't open up like that, that's another kind of red flag in another area of your life with, Mm -hmm. with your coach. But also if you are, you have to be real with yourself too. There's so many times where I would tell myself, it's not that bad. Like you're fine. Like you're just a little tired, you know, have your coffee, have your caffeine, cover it up. Like I would kind of belittle myself in a way, like feeling like I wasn't strong and I wasn't tough enough. And then I feel like I also wouldn't express how I was really feeling in my log, like with my coaches before versus being like, you know, I am waking up and I'm really fatigued or I'm really needing naps several times throughout the week. And I feel like I'm working really hard and I'm not seeing any sort of like positive feedback from that work. Like you have to, like, if you're that hardworking person and you're really hard on yourself, you also have to kind of give yourself some grace and kind of look at yourself as if you would look at a friend. Like if you had a friend telling you like, I'm working so hard in this diet and I'm not sleeping. I'm not seeing changes. Like, would you just tell them like, well, maybe you should just work harder. 
Like you, you would not say that. That would probably piss that person off. <laughs> Absolutely. I think it's one of those things too, where you do need to be honest with yourself. And this is where I try to be very mindful with how I phrase certain things because I do understand that those who work really hard, they hear the message of work harder. And they are the ones that are constantly wondering if they're working hard enough, if they're doing enough, if they're suffering enough. Whereas people that need to work harder, that need to chase that next level of discomfort, that need to push there, right? They're the ones that will hear the message. Well, it's okay to pull back and recover and do all those things, right? Mm -hmm. So you need to be very honest with where your efforts and intentions are. Mm -hmm. I think self-awareness is critical for your fitness journey, right? This does not mean that oh, I was hungry one day and I need to end my diet. Like, no, you're going to be hungry. Like I said, there are normal adaptations that are going to occur through a dieting phase. So understanding that part of the process is important. Mm -hmm. And again, this is really being self-aware and honest with yourself. Am I putting in my best effort? Am I checking all the boxes? Am I hitting the intensity of my cardio? Am I overloading in my training? Am I sticking to whole micronutrient-dense foods or am I having a quest bar every day, right? That's how you're utilizing your food. Then we need to address your food log, right? So there are many different elements when it comes to a fat loss phase that need to be analyzed here. So I'm not, I don't want people to hear this and go, oh, well, I don't have to work that hard. No, you fucking do. But at the same time, on the other side of the coin, if you are working your ass off, if you are checking all the boxes, if you are are 100% invested, giving your best effort every single day to get 1% better, and you are not seeing changes and you are having these adaptations and you are struggling, that's where you need to reevaluate your approach. Mm -hmm. And I think that's helpful too, to take like, I'm sure you've seen the Enneagram things, like personality tests, like even just taking those can kind of be eye-opening. Obviously, it's going to be a little bit more vague because you're trying to group mass amounts of people into, I think it's what, nine different categories. categories. Basically. Yeah, mm -hmm. but it's still helpful because even I've had friends take it and I'm like, OK, I can see a lot of those attributes of that person that fit that number. And I think a lot of people, unfortunately, do lack self-awareness and that that's helpful. Did you ever take an Enneagram before? I have, and I can't remember what it is. And then I did the, I actually really liked the Jordan Peterson, like understanding myself personality test. Okay. Um, I thought that that was super insightful. Yeah. And my husband and I, we did the same thing with like the five love languages because like being able to communicate how you receive and give love is super important for relationships. And I think the same goes for um, even like normal, non-intimate relationships. So just these cheesy things you might see, I'm not talking about the Facebook quizzes, but I'm talking about like things that actually have like research behind them. Like go ahead and take those because that can bring some more awareness. And my Enneagram is an eight, which is kind of like the person like likes to be in charge is assertive and they are stubborn. They like to give direction and they're hard on themselves. They try not to show weakness. And I'm like, yeah, that's me. Because like for those times where I was struggling with what we're talking about in today's podcast, I didn't want to show weakness. Weakness is not something I, I want to show to someone I'm trying to basically impress in a way. Yeah. I, I think I'm the same one as Sarah. I can't remember what she is. I think she's a three, which three, they say threes and eights are good business partners. <laughs> I was going to say, I think I'm a three. I, that's what I was going to say. I know that we're the same. So I don't, I don't remember exactly what that means. Threes do care about judgment from other people. So that's something that's I am, interesting. 
I am working on breaking that for sure. I, I am very aware of that though. I, I realize, I think number one, the most important thing, and this is obviously a side note, <laughs> I think that once you can master your own mind, and I don't know that you ever can, but I do think it's important to challenge when you feel something off. Like for me during this time where I'm not training, like I'm really starting to challenge some of the things that I think and do and make sure that they align not with just who I am, but who I want to become and continue to evolve into. And self-awareness is critical. I think most people don't understand the fact that we engage in habits all day, every day. And that means your brain is on autopilot for the majority of what you do in a day. So I think examining your thought patterns, your actions, or if something makes you feel uncomfortable, why it makes you feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And like really starting to understand what makes you feel a certain way. Like if you're on Instagram and you're scrolling and something makes you feel a certain way, well, why, why does that bother you? Mm-hmm. Right. If it's not conducive to your internal health, your mental health, like remove it. I am very adamant about people getting to a point where they have that higher self of understanding. And this is something I'm like incredibly interested in, in my free time. I like to dive into psychology, <laughs> but you know, I think that once you can understand yourself, you can understand why you act certain ways, why you want to do certain things. Like for a long time, especially as a female coach in the fitness industry, that is bodybuilding, right? I have felt like I had to value my physique instead Mm -hmm. of my intelligence, my ability to navigate through different seasons, my knowledge base, my anecdotal base, my experience, right? That makes me a coach. That's what validates me as a coach, right? not my physique yet sometimes. And I'm sure you feel this way too, is like, there's a standard that you have to uphold that makes you a a coach if you don't look the part and have this and that. But I also understand that like a shredded body is not a healthy healthy body. Mm -hmm. And like, I'm in a place where my health is an internal dumpster fire because like I withheld those standards of myself to find value in that place. And so now I'm on a road where like, I want to find what balance looks like for me. And I think that that looks different to everybody. I have no fucking idea what that's going to look like for me. I'm still figuring it out, but I do think it's important to understand that the way that you feel about things, the way that you think about things, you should investigate if you have a feeling about something, why you feel that way. What is this emotion causing in you, right? If it's a food thing, if it's a training thing, like if training, I, I say this all the time, we talk about you know, your relationship with food, your relationship with this and that, but not everybody talks about their relationship with training. For those of you that, that don't know, I've had in my blood work and confirmed in labs that like I've had chronic rhabdo, right? I have chronic muscle protein breakdown because I train like a savage and I don't rest, right? These are things again, that have led to where my health is and like obviously getting better. I'm not going to die guys. Like don't freak out, but you know, you are, and will always be the product of your choices. And I think accountability number one is lacking significantly in this period of, of our time you are, and will always be the product of your choices. So owning up to that, I think is important in going into it, knowing that this decision that you're making with your health, engaging in investing in a coach, engaging in a calorie deficit, engaging in the cardio, the training, all of these aspects of your life, right? That is going to have a consequence. Now, when I say consequence, that doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing. There are good and bad consequences to every decision that you make. But being aware of those choices and potential outcomes is important to consider before diving into these these endeavors, right? So just like it's important to train and give your best, it's also important to take rest days and pull back, right? There has to be quote unquote balance. And for everybody, that threshold and what it looks like and is distributed as is going to be very different. 
Mm-hmm. Well, a couple things. So if you are someone that is really overdoing the training and the dieting, it's just ask yourself, like, what are you running away from? What sometimes this behavior is avoidance behavior. Like for me, I would love to do preps to keep me distracted from other areas of my life. I remember graduating college. I didn't like that transition after what did I want to do? I want to jump into prep going through a breakup. Oh, we're just going to prep, you know, like going through all these uncomfortable areas and situations of life, like dieting was my outlet wasn't alcohol, wasn't drugs, wasn't, you know, gambling. It was dieting because, you know, dieting can't be bad, but it can (laughs) be. So dieting and over-exercising, if that is you, if that's kind of your vice, you know, ask yourself, like, what are you running away from? What are you trying to avoid? And you have to let yourself like feel those uncomfortable feelings. If you're scared to gain weight, why are you scared to gain weight? Are you scared that you won't be loved? Are you scared that you won't be accepted? Are you scared that you won't be taken seriously? Which I think is so huge in the fitness industry too, with women. And I would even reflect on myself too, when I would get into that headspace, I would just remind myself, People don't care about how you look. People care about how you make them feel because they don't. You can have the best body in the gym, but if you're a dick, you're a dick. Nobody (laughs) cares about you then. So it's like, yeah, your body's great, but like you're still an asshole. So like nobody's going to remember you except for negative things. I am like, yes, over here. I think it's so important. Again, like we all know what we want to do, but half the time we don't know why we want to do it. And I think that that's important to ask yourself, why do I want to diet? Why do I want to hit X amount of weight? What is that going to do for me? Or what is it going to distract me from? Right? For me, training and moving, I am someone who has anxiety. So when I feel that way, I like to train. I like get so amped up. I want to go lift 300 pounds on a deadlift. Like I want to go just fucking train. Like that's how I cope. And that's how I've always coped. But it's been something that as a coping mechanism is not ideal. And so during this time, I've had to really investigate alternative ways that work for me to work through things. So instead of using training as something that is quote unquote therapy, and I see this a lot, like, yes, it's very therapeutic and I very much love it. I can't wait to do it again. But I also need to have better strategies where I'm not just running myself into the ground to try to work through something. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's important, like you said, at the end of the day, people that you love, like really think about this. Think about why you love the people that you love. Do you love them because of the way that they look? Probably fucking not. And if you do, you need to check yourself. Like Mm -hmm. when I think about my mom or my family or my friends, like, I don't think, oh my God, I love them. Like, I love my sister. She has an oblique line. It's fucking awesome. Like, that's not why I love them. Right. I love them because of how they make me feel because of my ability to talk to them and be vulnerable with them and that they support me and you know, that they're good fucking people and they make me laugh. My dad's hilarious. Like I love them for those reasons. And so when you think about why you love yourself, it needs to have nothing to do with the way that you look. I'm going to tell you your looks are going to fade. And if you're a shitty person that has nothing else to offer, like you need to reflect on that. And I think that's a big piece of these health and fitness journeys and endeavors. Like, yes, number one, like if you're overweight and you need to get healthy, you need to get healthy. Like that is for you. That is an investment that you need to make to improve your quality of life, your longevity of life, and to be there for those around you. And, or if you have kids, like having a strong why is incredibly important and like improving health markers is is also important. But at the same time, like going into a diet to run away from something, or if you think it's going to make you more valuable as a person, if you think it's going to make you a better person, if you think it's going to make you somehow more like insta like worthy like this virtual world that we live in that's not real like 
all of those things, you really need to evaluate how that's going to improve your life. Is it going to improve your life? Right? Getting healthy, fixing my internal health right now, yes, it's probably going to require me to gain more body fat than I'd like, but I'm going to be have more energy, be able to show up to things, get back into training, be able to recover from training, live a better life. It does a scale like necessarily go along with what diet culture would tell me makes me valuable as a woman? No. But do I give a fuck? Not really. Like at this point, I really don't. And I know things about body composition enough to know that if I put on body fat now, once I'm in a healthier situation, I'll be able to get it off. Like I'm not worried about, like, I'm not afraid of that. Right. And I think a lot of people use these things to dismiss what it is that they're afraid of addressing. And I think, again, having an honest conversation with yourself about why you do what you do, right? A lot of people restrict in order to control, right? So if you feel an element of your life is not in control, what is it and why do you feel that way? And I think that just continuing to challenge yourself is only going to enhance what health and fitness should be, which is fucking fun and Mm -hmm. yes, challenging. And yes, it's going to change you as a person in the way that you think and what you find that you can overcome. And that's why I love bodybuilding. I genuinely love the process. It fucking sucks. And I love every minute of it, but I also can't do it all the time. And that has come to light for me as like, as much as I love it, I can't always be doing that. Like, I know I'm pretty fucking resilient, but can I do the hard things, which is rest, recover, restore? Can I do that? Can you do that? Are you willing to commit to that? If not, why not? If it's because you're afraid to gain weight, well, why does that matter to you? Yeah. If you're not in an unhealthy body at that point, and it, it is only going to increase your longevity of life, your quality of life, and your ability to lose fat, why are you afraid of that? Yeah, I think the good phrase too is just constantly asking someone, and then what? And then what? When you achieve your, your body. And then what? Well, then I'll love myself. Huh? Is that, are you sure about that? I can tell you, fuck no. I have no. been as low as 94 pounds and as heavy as 130. And I'm going to tell you my happiest is somewhere in the middle where I just have energy and I'm bubbly Kate and I'm happy and I can show up for my clients and do the things I love to do and not worry about if I eat an untracked meal, am I going to be up five pounds? Like if you're having severe fluctuations, by the way, when having untracked meals and you're like hydrated and like all of that stuff is consistent, like there's still some internal shit going on that you need to. Other than your period, I will say periods are wild, but like other than that, I mean, big fluctuations, not normal. And your happiest will probably be your healthiest too. For me, I feel like I'm my happiest right now. This is where my body feels its best. I mean, I was able to go on like a universal trip and eat lots of fun things. And I came back the exact same, not that that matters at all, but it just goes to show like, even when my other variables are kind of off, like my body's still like, no, we're cool here. Like this is where we like to hang out. And you know, that's a great place to be, but you're not going to find it if you don't allow yourself to get there. And this happy place might be five, 10 pounds heavier than what you currently are. And you just have to be okay with that. Like who cares what the number is? Exactly. And like I said, and I don't, I'm not a haze person. I don't believe you're healthy at every size. So that's not a true statement, but I do think it's important to understand that if you continue to implement a calorie deficit, you're going to suffer from a life deficit somewhere, right? Mm -hmm. It does become detrimental at some point and you have to weigh the pros and cons of that decision. And I've said this before and I'll say it again, a calorie deficit is not a lifestyle. It is a tool that you can use to improve your body composition in your set point over periods of time, right? This health and fitness thing is not a 
six month transformation and then I'm fucking done. Right. It's constantly a moving target. And when you look at it that way, you're never done. It's never done. It's never going to be done. Not if you're really in it for the right reasons. I mean, it's, it's something, like I said, if you truly enjoy it and it enhances your life and you like to see what you're capable of achieving and what your body can go through and accomplish, like that's where it's a fun and exciting, whether it's strength and performance, which I love to do when I'm eating in a surplus is focus on how strong I can get, how well I can perform showing up and doing other activities, getting into jujitsu, like things that have nothing to do with physique goals, right? And then when I'm bodybuilding, you know, what muscle did I build? How can I get through this? All of those different things, the psychology around it, but each and every season has a purpose and the aggressive dieting has to be short-term. And I'm going to tell you, if you're someone that has gained and lost the same 10 pounds, it's because the approach that you're using and the education that you need to sustain that is not given to you through the programs that you're using or the approaches that you're using. I would encourage you to, if you're going to make an investment in changing your life and you want to make that long-term investment in changing your body composition and your health, your mentality, your your self-value and approval, um, I do think that investing in a coach or something that is more sustainable and playing the long game is the best thing that you can do for yourself. Yeah. And not everything has to be, you know, physique related. You're you're allowed to, you know, play around with different areas of fitness. You don't have to get any sort of physique benefit out of it. I know you do your jujitsu and I do gymnastics. And I even had someone ask me, they're like, do you feel like gymnastics is like improving your body composition? I was like, fuck no, I've never even thought about that. I'm like, I just do this stuff because it's fun. And it's like, I get to focus on this one thing. That's one of those things where like what I'm assuming when you're, I don't know what it's called. Rolling. Rolling. With that, it's like you have to be so focused on the movements because you can get hurt or you can be put in a position that's not comfortable. And I feel like the same way with the gymnastics, it's like I can only be focused on that. And that's what makes it so fun. It's like when I'm flipping in the air, I'm not thinking about what my body looks like. I'm just thinking about landing it safely and feeling good about myself and the skill. That's all I'm thinking about. So you're allowed to do things that don't involve your physique too. And start setting goals outside of just physique is, is a good place to be too. And I will throw this out there. Being at your leanest is not your most functional, right? I can tell you that when I'm shredded, like I can't do that many box jumps. I don't even know if I can jump that high, right? Like your ability to do any performance output as an Athlete is significantly decreased, right? You just don't have the store, the energy stores to perform in that manner, right? I could never do jujitsu when I'm shredded. I could never do it. Um, I would hurt myself. I would absolutely probably break something. I would hurt somebody else. Like I would not recover. It would not be great. So I think it's also really important to understand that physique athletes, when they're super shredded, are not functional athletes, not typically, right? And again, this is me speaking from people that are not enhanced. So just normal adaptations occurring in a normal body without any use of exogenous hormone or or supplementation to help kind of promote athletic performance. So just a side note there, like you're not going to be, again, like I could not do jujitsu. You probably aren't doing backhand springs and, you know, fucking flips and shit. Like when you're shredded, like you could get hurt doing that. I mean, I know you're in fitness, but I mean like super shredded. So, yeah, I mean, even in fitness and that's why I think we've talked about this too. I think that I could see them potentially changing it just a little bit to a little bit of a softer look just to keep the joints 
healthy. I mean, I've been able to make so many more progressions now. Like I'm literally getting new skills like every week because I have the energy. Like I, I can do these explosive movements because I'm eating. So um, props to the fitness girls who are super shredded and they are doing these crazy routines. But if you all- And again, they might not be natural. I don't know. Like I I can speculate, but- A lot of them have had injuries. Like they get injured and then they have to take time off and come back. I know Whitney Jones is known for getting these crazy injuries and still competing, but- you know, that could be part of the leanness. It could be a lot of things it could be age, you know, wear and tear, but being lean does definitely set you up for more injuries. Yeah. You definitely lose like joint tissue. Like your joints just don't have as much cushion. Like you don't have as much tissue around. Right. And again, you don't have the energy availability to be able to continue to perform and recover from that performance. So, I mean, there's a lot that goes into it, but just you know, consider the, the pros and cons and the costs at which you're you're making these life choices. I know so many women chase a scale number. I just want to be X amount of weight. And I, again, I can tell you, and it's almost like, you know, you hear this advice from people all the time and you're like, yeah, shut the fuck up. Like once I get there, I'll be happy. Like I'm telling you genuinely. And sometimes you have to go through it to understand. And I'm sure you can relate. It doesn't matter what weight you've been at, like that. Mm. It never, it never enhanced your life, right? It might've made you feel good for a second when you look in the mirror and you see no bleak line or you can tell people you're a size two, but at the same time, that doesn't create more value for you as a person or what you can offer the world, like what you can offer the people that you interact with. Like, I think life is all about how people make you feel and how you interact with people and the experience that you can provide and have. And I don't know that you're necessarily getting a full life experience again, because when when you are in a calorie deficit, you're also in some type of a life deficit. And I think that, you know, considering that, and again, there's a time and a place for it. Absolutely. Like, please, but just don't be that person that's chronically losing that aspect of your life. Because what I do know, and you know, is that time passes and you can't get it back. You can't change it. You can't replace it. And I've missed moments, memories, and an engagement with people that I love because I was focused on a calorie deficit and an oblique line. And that never was conducive to me being a better person, a better partner, a better, you know, daughter, sister, friend, student, any of those things. I was never better because I was dieting. Um, Mm -hmm. So I just think that that's important to give you peace of mind with. Time is precious. You got to get sick of your own shit. Mm, I love that. I'm going to include, you know, all your information down below, Kate. It's always great having you on and I'm excited to see what this, you know, phase brings you. I know that we're kind of in a similar phase, but I I feel like I've been in your shoes before and it's uncomfortable, but it'll pay off. With discomfort comes lots of cool shit. Uh, If nothing else, self-awareness, more self-awareness, which I really love. So thank you for having me on and we'll do this again soon.